Hey everybody, welcome back. Ben Pekulski, Muscle Intelligence. We're getting right into it today. If you are a coach or anyone who trains, you're gonna to wanna to listen to this podcast. I'm gonna give you my insights and exactly how I make decisions on what exercises to choose, what sets and reps to choose based on the current state of your nervous system. One of the biggest challenges we see in exercise is people myopically attaching to a specific training style because they see someone else doing it, or maybe they've seen some success with it in the past, but your body is evolving every single day. Every day you're becoming a new version of yourself. You should be in tune with exactly how to train and the lens through which you're making decisions is your nervous system. I'm gonna tell you about that and so much more in today's solo cast. Coming at you in just a minute. But just before we get to this podcast, I wanna give a special shout out to our sponsor for today's episode, by Optimizers, coming back at you with another amazing product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. Blood Sugar Breakthrough is a great way to stabilize your blood sugar. None of us are perfect on our diet, myself included. We all have moments. And that's okay. It's okay to enjoy some of the sugary foods, but we always want to minimize the impact. We want to minimize the negative repercussions of these blood sugar spikes. And one of the best ways to do it is with blood sugar breakthrough. They've added all of the efficacious ingredients shown to stabilize blood sugar and help your body with glucose disposal, meaning taking it from blood sugar, putting it into the muscle cells where we want it. One of the great benefits of blood sugar breakthrough that I've seen is just helping to regulate hunger, helping to regulate satiety and those hunger signals and ultimately stabilize my blood sugar so I'm not feeling the fluctuations throughout the day. One serving of blood sugar breakthrough, usually for me around noon, tends to keep my blood sugar consistent through the afternoon so I'm not seeing the crashes. I've absolutely loved my experiment with blood sugar breakthrough. So if you're reading my continuous glucose monitor, what you will see, normally my blood sugar sits around 68 to 72 pretty consistently. And if I were to go and have a big meal, even if it's just rice cakes or a big protein meal, my blood sugar can spike up over 100 sometimes. And when I take blood sugar breakthrough, it actually keeps it down usually around 90, 85 to 90. And that's with consuming carbohydrates. And what that means to me is my body gets consistent blood sugar, consistent energy, and not a big spike, and then a crash. And those crashes are associated with those energy lulls in the afternoon, which I'm trying to avoid as I try to be productive in all areas of my life. I don't want to feel like I need a nap around two or three o'clock. Head over to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health, bloodsugarbreakthrough.health, slash muscle and use the code muscle 10 to get hooked up with 10% off. And for a limited time, BioOptimizers is also going to be giving away free bottles of P3OM and Masszymes with select purchases. So P3OM is their amazing proteolytic prebiotic, probiotic, prebiotic that helps break down proteins and Masszymes, as you guys know, is one of my favorite products ever helping me break down protein. As we consume more protein, Masszymes is an incredible addition to your regiment. That's once again, bloodsugarbreakthrough.health and use the code MUSCLE10 to get hooked up with 10% off. And we are rolling. So if you are someone who trains, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a coach, whether you're someone who just wants to make the most of your body, I wanna tell you how you can start to make decisions around training to make your training more effective. So I want you to start to place yourself somewhere on this continuum. Our nervous system is always uh, assessing the environment, assessing the environment around us and ultimately creating an internal environment. And with respect to the nervous system, what that might look like 
someone who's very sympathetically oriented, meaning they tend to be more stressed. They tend to be um, maybe moving a little bit faster. They talk fast. Their, their mannerisms tend to be a little bit more abrupt. This person is said to be sympathetically oriented or sympathetically dominant. We have someone who's a little bit calmer, maybe speaks a little bit slowly, a little more methodical. They tend to be a little bit more loose and fluid in their movements. This person is said to be more parasympathetically dominant, right? And obviously this exists on a continuum. It can even be situational day-to-day, week-to-week. It can change. It can also be influenced by a number of factors, stress, sleep, nutrition, inflammation, All these things are influencing the state of your nervous system. But I want you to place yourself somewhere on this continuum. So usually you'll be able to identify it right away, right? Are you someone that tends to be high, strong, anxious, moving a lot, um, doesn't want to sit down, not a really hard time getting up and get moving, but maybe a harder time slowing down. This is someone who's sympathetically oriented. And so what we can assume about that person is they probably have a higher amount of stress hormones floating around their blood, higher amount of catecholamines, maybe more noradrenaline. Uh, Typically, their uh, nervous system is just kind of always on high alert. These people may be adrenaline junkies, people who just kind of always want to be doing those things that are really, really stimulating and have a hard time slowing down. It's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just an observation. Now, if we look at the other end of the spectrum, we have these people who are more parasympathetically oriented. Their body tends to store a little bit more. They tend to be in recovery mode a little bit more. Maybe they have a hard time getting going. So a good analogy is this is more like the freight train. Once you get them going, They can move fast. They can do a lot of great work, but getting them moving is sometimes hard. If you're someone who has a hard time getting inspired to go to the gym, get off the couch, do things in life, this may be a more parasympathetic type of environment, or you may not have a hard time getting up off the couch, but maybe you just find you're you're more of a relaxed personality. You're a little bit more chilled. You'll calm down. Maybe you are, uh, you know, a slow talker. Maybe you uh, feel your body um, moves really well, flows really well. And uh, it's very easy for you to turn down and, and, and calm down. And maybe you're a little bit more inclined to doing things that are uh, activities that are a little bit more relaxed, maybe like yoga, maybe like meditation. Those things come well easily to you. Things that don't come easily to you, maybe like the sprinting and the fast paced sports, right? So let's put you on a continuum, realizing that there's no black and white. It's all a continuum. So where do you fit on that continuum? So when it comes to someone who's more sympathetically oriented, meaning this type A fast personality, typically they tend to be a little bit leaner. They tend to be a little bit thinner, have a harder time putting on muscle. Um, And uh, oftentimes they tend to be, if at the extremes of the range, stronger by nature, um, maybe faster by nature, but also uh, more rigid by nature, meaning tighter muscles. Maybe they have tighter uh, spines, maybe tighter hips. And some this obviously this can be genetic or also environmental. So if your environment has been such that it's conducive to like being rigid, then you could be parasympathetically oriented and still be rigid. So there's there's multiple influences on this. So when you're born, everyone's born with a kind of a default nervous system, right? And your environment then starts to stack on top of that. So your nervous system obviously comes from your parents and uh, is obviously influenced by your history, your exposure throughout life. So we have to start assessing, okay, how much of this is nature and how much of this is nurture? Because obviously nurture, we can unwind, right? Nature is what we've got. Nurture is like, hey, this is, this is the stuff that I've been exposed to, whether it be trauma, whether it be environment, but I can, I know that I can change that. Obviously our ability to change our nature, much, maybe less, still possible, but less. So I wanna look at myself and say, okay, where do I fit in this continuum? And then acknowledge that these people, should be training differently. 
these people should be trading very differently. So if you're someone who's sympathetically oriented, you don't need as much to get going, right? Maybe you do take things to get going, stimulants, pre-workouts, whatever, but you don't need as much. And typically you're the type of person who in training, you tend to burn out kind of quick. If you did a bunch of volume, you're gonna, your body's going to burn out very quickly. Like you're not going to be able to do two and a half hour workouts. You're going to tend to burn out. So how should we then train? As soon as you get into the workout, acknowledging you're genetically or you're environmentally sympathetically oriented, you have more catecholamines, more cortisol, more adrenaline floating around. So what do those things do if they're not used up? So if I'm stressed, our body has a fight or flight response, right? So typically throughout history, ancestrally we'll say, or maybe evolutionarily, when we were stressed, it was typically followed by uh, running away, or movement, we would mobilize that stress. But now our stress levels are just constantly elevated and not followed in any way by any mobilization. So if we are not mobilizing, those those hormones still go somewhere. That can sometimes contribute to conversion of testosterone into DHT, conversion into, or, or at least increases in cortisol and adrenaline. And that sometimes can change the quality of your tissues. So what we want to think about doing is instead of going into the gym and adding more on top of that, so we're like oftentimes, so what does that look like? If we're doing things that are hugely stressful, like massive amounts of load, we'll typically be good at that, right? You'll typically be good at that because you typically will be strong if you're sympathetically oriented, you'll be fast if you're sympathetically oriented, but adding more of those hormones can sometimes be negative because ultimately too much of anything for a long time can be a challenge. I'm not saying don't do it, but I'm saying you also want to have a balance of muscle muscle stimulating exercise meaning it doesn't just it shouldn't just be huge amounts of strength based training if you want to ultimately improve your body's ability to move improve your body's ability to grow and respond you have to then maybe take less sympathetic training and more muscle and energetic based training so what does that look like so someone who is sympathetically oriented as i said we're not going to do huge numbers of sets of, of high strength-based workouts. We may do a couple, but it's not as even necessary in many cases. Or maybe it happens, but less frequently. And we want to do muscle-based training because that tends to be less stimulating to the central nervous system, more stimulating to the muscular system and the energy systems, so the, the, the body's energy demand. So we want to place demands on those systems. Think of it like opening up the muscles and opening up the muscular system to receive or benefit from the cortisol, the, nor the noradrenaline. So if we're training that way, we're saying, okay, I want to have um, more maybe depleting workouts. So if you're someone who tends to be sympathetically oriented, you get started up fast, you don't slow down well, you need to introduce workouts that will help your body go into a greater state of fatigue. So we want to introduce some level of fatigue so that at the end of the day, it's turning on those parasympathetic systems and allowing my body to recover, to go into recovery mode, and then ultimately turn off at the end of the day, right? So we need our training to be the thing that elicits this, um, this kind of flip into a parasympathetic state. So that means inducing some fatigue on a consistent basis. That's typically where people will start to grow. If you're sympathetic, we try to induce muscular fatigue, energetic fatigue, and then your body starts to respond in this, in this positive way. Now, in, in people who are highly sympathetic, it's important to acknowledge this doesn't usually take huge amounts of volume. They don't need huge, huge amounts of volume. Typically, I'll train them in a more um, high-frequency manner. So the workouts may be 40 minutes, and we're going to do muscle-based workouts, low volume, and then come back again later in the day, or again, maybe they're training a little bit more often. Because I want to create that anabolic signal in the muscle, not just in the central nervous system. So that's important to acknowledge and keep the workouts short, make, keep them intense, muscle-based. When I say intense, not, uh, not necessarily low rep, 
but uh, intense as far as like effort into small number of sets. Um, and then if we, so if we then take that and look at the other end of the spectrum, we look at the parasympathetically oriented person, which is me. And I learned this, um, well, actually I'm probably a good balance of both. I think I have the ability to switch, but I learned uh, through years in training in university that if I didn't train squats or deadlifts at the beginning of the workout, always, my workout sucked. I couldn't really get going. I'm literally like the the uh, stereotypical freight train. Like I can't get going. It takes me a lot to get going. But once I do, I can train forever and hours and it gets better and better and better. So I responded really well to high volume training. So uh, if I would go in the gym, I could do uh, six, eight, 10 sets of squats, eight, six, eight, 10 sets of deadlifts. And then I would feel like I'm warmed up enough. And then I'd be like, okay, I'm ready to go. And then everything that happened after that would be better. If you did that to someone who was sympathetically oriented, they'd be laying on the floor, probably overtrained and, and ineffective at everything that happened after that. Right. So my body is like literally like a like a big ass spray train or like a Clydesdale, right? So if I get going, I'm like I'm strong. I'm literally like a Clydesdale. But to get me going, like I need some, some, you know, kicks in the butt. Other end of it. They don't need anything to get going. They're just ready to go right away. They go to the gym. They're the type of person that can lift right away and they're, ready, they're warm, they're ready to move. Um, but if they do too much, they'll break down. So starting to acknowledge what does this parasympathetic training look like? Well, someone like myself who's parasympathetic, I almost always want to start with something neurological in, in nature. Squats, deadlifts, uh, it could be snatches, it could be Olympic lifting. Anything that is... Uh, excitatory to my central nervous system. So my muscular system wants to grow, but my nerve central nervous system is like, man, you, you need to pour some jet octane fuel to get this thing going, right? So literally even now I'll train for an hour with some high level bodybuilders and I'll feel like I'm starting and they're done. And that's kind of always been the case, right? It's always been my superpower. And the, the beauty of it was I was able to get very, very strong and very, very explosive through intentional, intelligent training. That wouldn't be my nature. My nature is probably relatively weak, and that's funny, but relatively weak um, and relatively easy, not but easy, but easy to put on tissue. So my body wants to, wants to accumulate tissue, right? My body wants to keep its tissue, and that's muscle or fat, depending how I train. So if I didn't train, I'd probably be a big fat ass. Sorry if that's offensive, <laughs> but it's true. Like if I, I have a huge appetite, and uh, my body wants to retain tissue. Like even for me trying to lose tissue now or losing tissue now has actually been incredibly challenging. So it's important to acknowledge that, um, yeah. So uh, if I'm sympathetically oriented, I then need to do things that are, sorry, parasympathetically oriented. And then need to do things that are very stimulating, high sympathetic output, high central nervous system output. And I need to do typically, or I can, and I need, sometimes need to do high volume training my body responds really, really well to that. So that's uh, a great, again, that those are ends of the spectrum. And usually most people will fit into those. The people that don't tend to fit into those are people who have never really trained before in their life or don't really have an athletic history or really are just uncoordinated. And then they need to develop both, right? Their body kind of is, is just a poorly developed nervous system. That's okay. But um, so for for those people, we just need to take it slow. And I think the worst thing you can do at that point is be like, I'm just going to try to crush everything I do and have absolutely no 
uh, focus, intentionality, or uh, direction, right? So let's go, uh, you know, ultimately, how can we learn to move well first, whether any side of the spectrum you're on, quality of movement is the foundation of everything you do. If your movement sucks, quality sucks, your results will suck. That's just fact. And here's the thing. Most people think their quality is good and it's not. So very recently, I've been training a lot of pro bodybuilders. And, and one thing that expresses, this is important if listen up on this. So if you're someone who gets into a set, and if I were to, to bark instructions at you from across the gym, and you couldn't immediately respond to them, you need to, to you're a pr- very likely uh, in need of some parasympathetic interventions. So this doesn't necessarily mean that you're not parasympathetic in nature. It just means you need some control over your parasympathetic system. It's kind of like your brakes, right? So it's obviously your, ultimately your cerebellum, but I need you to be able to respond in real time to my cues. So you're probably someone who needs to sit in meditation, I know that sucks. You're probably someone who doesn't want to sit in meditation. No, meditation doesn't suck. It's amazing. But for you, it probably sucks. And uh, you're probably someone who needs to sit and uh, observe yourself, observe your body's ability or des- body's desire, unconscious desire to want to like squirm and move. And it's like fidgety, right? These people are literally like fidgety. And if you're somebody who's fidgety, it just says that you may be parasympathetic in nature, but you don't train your parasympathetic nervous system. You're doing too many things that are sympathetic, and you're not ultimately training both ends of this. So think of these systems like, um, not necessarily competitive, but antagonist. You need to train both. We want to train both the sympathetic and the parasympathetic system if you want to be a highly tuned athlete. So an example being these people I've been training with lately will get into a machine and I'll be like, okay, do this, do this, do this. And I'll, and I'll bark the same cue 10 times. Nothing happens. They don't have the cognitive ability to be present in the moment and actually make those shifts in real time. How can you make progress if I can't give you an instruction and you make change? And, and my deduction is they simply don't have the ability to be present in that thing because their brain is just is racing too fast, right? So being parasympathetic in nature or yeah, maybe yes, gives us the ability to kind of slow down our brain, center our brain and be present in the moment. So their ability to react is much less because the brain is in just constant sympathetic overdrive. So if you're someone who wants to get uh, better at exercise or build muscle, the ability to correct yourself in real time is going to be an incredibly valuable asset. So if you find that your mind tends to wander a little bit during sessions or you have a hard time kind of queuing in or you're easily distracted, it's like a squirrel trying to catch a nut, right? You're always looking around like, where do I go? You're the exact person who needs to get into some type of meditative practice. And this is the irony of life. So I've, I've had someone actually, I'll, I'll, I won't, throw, won't say his name, a really good friend of mine, someone who I, I think is like a brother and a son at the same time. Uh, the first workout we did, he'll, he'll know who, he's talk, who I'm talking about if he listens. I made him, before we trained, I made him sit in the corner and do a five-minute meditation. It's like, there's no way I'm going to train with you unless you go over there and not move for five minutes. And I think that was probably the best part of the training session for him, or maybe the most useful. So sometimes people think, well, what type of training should I do? Maybe the training you need right now to get better at training is a meditation. So if you guys, if that sounds like a divergence or if it sounds like an odd thing, if I can't sit and focus for five minutes and, and simply not move for five minutes, think of how poor my attention span is. If I can't focus for 30, 40, 60 seconds in a set and take that into a deep level of focus, 
right? A single point of focus. How am I supposed to progress? Right. Most people can't focus for seven seconds. What's the likelihood of you building any type of muscle or, or having any type of improvement in your training or ultimately realizing how much that training transfers into every other part of your life? Think about it. If I can't focus for seven seconds in training, what is my focus outside of the gym? What's my focus in business and relationships? You, you simply are an ineffective human. And this is where people are, are migrating to, it seems, right? Uh, social media has taken over our lives. We're, we're so uh, attached to providing, I don't know, val- I don't know if even the word is value, but providing ultimately some type of uh, engagement with this community of people we don't know. And we're trying to get their attention. Even if we're a highly intellectual, highly effective person, so much of our conscious space is spent, instead of going deep into productivity and deep work, it's spent superficially thinking about how do I engage these monkeys on social media so that they can be entertained. Think about that, right? The depth of the human experience is fading away because we ultimately want to entertain people on social media that we've never met and we want them to click a button. It's literally like monkeys in a lab, right? I want to get these guys to do something like me. Maybe if I go on social media and like dance with a hat on, people are going to click this like button. Like what? This literally, I think this is like what what a lab scientist would have done 40, 50 years ago, trying to get a monkey to, to hit a lever, right? There's definitely science experiments like this. Like hit this lever and you get some food. Like that's really what it feels like. So uh, anyways, point being, uh, maybe becoming a valuable, effective human requires you stepping into practice around not allowing your body to become, or not allowing your mind and your life to become focused around these uh, empty, superficial, uh, ultimate, immediate gratification endeavors, Right. So we're not about immediate gratification. We're about depth. And so if you want to build muscle, even if it's not for the muscle, do it because it makes you a better, more effective human, right? Let's be a more effective human so I can make more money. I can have better relationships. I can provide more value to people out there who are ultimately trying to find their way through this distracting world, right? So one of the practices that I like to to, to uh, have every day is a meditation practice. It doesn't have to be long. It can even be with your eyes open. It can be right now as you sit here and listen. Bring your attention onto your senses. Bring your attention onto a single point of focus. Bring your attention onto your breath. Relax your muscular system. Relax your breath. Bring yourself into that present moment and do that in every single set that you do in the gym. That makes the set more effective. That makes the workout more effective, right? And then, so then when we start get at least getting into that level of uh, intentionality, then we can start going, okay, I know how to do this rep well. Now, how many reps should I do? How much weight should I use? Well, this is often a reflection of your nervous system. So if you're someone who tends to be more sympathetic in nature, my suggestion is stay in the higher muscle building ranges 80% of the time. And that could be eight plus repetitions. Maybe you start training greater density in your workouts. Meaning, again, you could even do sixes, six, eight reps, that's fine. But now maybe instead of just constantly training with longer rest periods, which would be your nature, let's do shorter rest periods. So we're we're creating a more metabolic uh, need or metabolic demand on our system. So instead of training with two and three minutes rest, take it to 30 
well, maybe 60 to 90 seconds rest to start, that becomes a greater metabolic demand. The body has to produce energy faster. That demand on the body, on your body, should create a greater uh, ultimate need for for recovery for calming the body down or ultimately putting into a place that where it wants or is able to recover from. So instead of following your tendency or your desire to train heavy with long rest periods, which is okay, because that's what you're good at. Those are the things you're not good at. And that's really the way I approach training period is my suggestion for all of us is to look for your weakest links. Don't always do the things you're good at, find the things you suck at and spend more time there do it more often. So I was training with these high-level bodybuilders this week. It's so obvious to me what they're terrible at and they never do it. And what they're really, really good at is all they do. And that's useful for a really small percentage of people. People who are going to succeed are the ones who are going to look at their weakest link, have a critical eye and say, I know I'm not good at this. I need to do it more. Right. So hopefully that was helpful. Hopefully that gives you a little perspective. And so if you're someone then who's parasympathetically oriented, like me, maybe you start your workouts with things that are more sympathetic in nature. Like let's do some things that get your body fired up. And listen, one of the things I used to do all the time is I would do a hundred calorie sprint on a rower, or I would do huge amounts of effort before I trained. Like what? Yeah, maybe you do some high intensity work before you train. It doesn't have to do you be a huge amount of volume. That really got my nervous system fired up. Then I was ready to go and start something challenging. I'm literally, I'm like a slow moving train that is just heavy and doesn't want to get going. But once I get going, I'm good. Right. And here's the crazy thing or the important thing to note, the better you are, the healthier you are, the more, when I say better, better trained you are, the faster it is for you to get going. So if you're someone who always like, feels like it's slow to get going, probably means you're deconditioned in that system. So you want to then train the sympathetic nervous system to be able to get moving fast. Right. And once I learned that my body was a too well-tuned machine, I could turn up, I could turn down. That's the warrior and the monk. Right. The idea of the warrior is I want to be able to access, boom, high level of intensity, one breath. The warrior, one breath. You guys have heard me say that before. I'll say it again because it's valuable. So the warrior is the sympathetic. The monk is the parasympathetic, right? Accessing those states on an ongoing basis. Guys, hopefully that was helpful. I want to acknowledge each and every one of you for being here. We've seen an incredible rise lately in the number of downloads and subscriptions to the podcast. So thank you for being here. I aspire to continue to bring you great information, useful information you can apply right now to ultimately getting better workouts, to getting better at life, to being a more effective human is ultimately what we're all at after, right? So regardless of what your goals are in life, being a more effective human definitely, definitely requires focus. And you can train your focus intentionally in every workout. Everybody think about that. Every time you step in the gym, you're either training focus or you're training mindlessness. Your choice. Do you, what do you want to take with you outside of the gym? Do you want to be someone who's a highly focused, deep thinker, uh, you know, somebody who kind of sees all of their work through? Or do you want to be someone who's training, chasing up like a squirrel and ultimately whatever you're doing in the gym, you're reinforcing that. So realize the state of mind that you hold while you're in the gym is being, is being brought with you to the rest of your life. So if you're like, uh, eh, you know, that type of person or like, oh man, this sucks or man, I'm, I'm super scatterbrained and I'm not following a plan. Expect to make life more difficult as you age. If you want to make life better, more effective and uh, ultimately 
um, more productive as a human, then I suggest you start to engage in this intelligent approach to building muscle. So if you want to learn this more about this, I'm actually doing a webinar this Thursday. Uh, I want to say the date is the 23rd at 7 p.m. Eastern. You can check out the links for that on my Instagram, on the Facebook group. If you guys are not already a part of the Muscle Intelligence Facebook group, get in there now. You're missing out. Uh, we're going to be teaching this in a little bit more depth and how to select these exercises for you. So we'll be doing a couple of case studies. You guys can have a better understanding on really how to do this. So if you enjoy this podcast, I would appreciate if you would share it with someone you know and love who uh, trains, maybe your training partner. Maybe you guys can discuss it and get to the bottom of how to train for yourselves. Maybe you're different, which is okay. My suggestion, it may be useful to find someone who's, who's got a nervous system similar to yours, but you don't have to, right? You can simply just acknowledge that if they need to do three sets of things that are highly sympathetic, you can do six and that's okay. You know, I did it a lot in my career. So find people who are similar to you, find someone with parallel goals and keep each other accountable to ultimately aspiring for whatever goal it is that you have in life right now. Go out there, get it, crush it, guys. Thanks for being here. Today's podcast is brought to you once again by Bioptimizers, the best blood sugar control product that exists, Blood Sugar Breakthrough dot health. Website is bloodsugarbreakthrough.health. You can use the code muscle10 to get hooked up. Why do I suggest this product? Well, blood sugar regulation is important, especially if you want to lose body fat, especially if you want to have more focus and less energy lulls. Head over to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health and use the code muscle. Thanks for being here, guys. I appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a minute. Have an awesome day. Live your greatest life in a body that you love. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.